I saw your be good baker running by again the other day, says I to old Mr. Brennan. Ah, yes, says he. I've never seen her stand still. And she's running rings around the rest of us with our Brennan's be good bread. Only 60 calories a slice. 60 calories, says I. That's just a whole meal, is it? No, says he. It's the whole meal, the whole grain, and the waste. 60 calories a slice and high in fiber, whatever way it slices. That's why anything baked is better with Brennan's. Today's bread today. At the Irish Independent, we don't just cover sport. We tell the stories written all over Ireland. After all, each struggle, triumph, high and low, leaves a mark that lasts. Irish Independent, written all over Ireland. If you like the Indo Daily, you can follow us on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. the coast of South Africa today, a dramatic and daring rescue at sea. Merchant vessels joined South Africa's Navy and Air Force to rescue the passengers and crew of a Greek cruise ship sinking in storm-lashed waters. Today on the Indo-Daily, disaster at sea, the entertainer who saved the cruise ship. Tracy, myself and the other entertainers got onto the bridge and discovered that there was absolutely nobody on the bridge. No captain, no officers, nothing, completely abandoned. There's water everywhere. Frequency, can you help over? A sinking ship full of innocent passengers is the stuff of nightmares. I went to go and try and find the captain, and at that point I realised, okay, we're in charge of this rescue. It's us. Moss Hills, a Zimbabwe-born cruise ship entertainer, found himself an unlikely hero when he saved the lives of almost 600 guests and crew on board the doomed Oceanos. This is something you'd never imagine having to do, literally sitting down with your wife and saying, we we might go down with this ship, but what about our daughter? One of us has to survive. I'm Fionn Sheehan, and to hear more about this extraordinary story, I'm joined by the man at the helm of that rescue mission himself, Moss Hills. Moss, you have vast experience uh, of of the, the the cruise line industry. Tell us how you got into it in the first place. I first got into the cruise industry many years ago when uh, my wife and I were both professional musicians and we formed a duo, a two-piece band, and started performing on cruise ships and loved it. And the, the opening lyrics of your most favourite song, Master Jack, goes, it's a strange, strange world we live in. And it certainly, it, it turned strange for you when you basically ended up effectively becoming the, the chief coordinator of a massive rescue at sea. It's remarkable when you are faced with a really difficult situation, you're never quite sure how you're going to react. I would never have seen myself in a situation of being in the middle of the night in a terrible storm on a ship that was sinking and then finding that me and other entertainers and crew staff suddenly were in charge of the rescue. It's something you could, you could never imagine happening in your life. But when it does, it's, uh, it's quite a shock. Were you an experienced sailor or anything? Like that? Had you had... What's, what level of safety training did, did you as such have before that? Well, as, as entertainers on board a cruise ship, you don't have any formal safety training. You only have 
training of what to do in an emergency, which would be to stand by one of the exit doors and direct guests to their muster stations where they would be assembling. That's it. We have no training in how to use radios, how to lower lifeboats, what to do in anything. We're, we're entertainers. I'm a guitarist. The entire extent of my training as an entertainer would be to, in an emergency, direct people to their gathering point, their muster station, show them how to put life jackets on and just tell them to wait there quietly and wait for instructions over the PA system from the captain and the other officers. Your your actions on that night were responsible effectively for, for saving uh, the lives of, of 400 to, to, to 500 passengers uh, on board. But you also, you talk as well about how a, a survival instinct kicked in with yourself and your wife, Tracy, where you felt at one point, one of us has to get out of this alive because we have a daughter we need to raise. When Tracy and I were on board the Oceanus and, and the, the rescue had been underway for a while, we'd been helping people get in and out of into lifeboats and working with the other entertainers. Then eventually, we had no more lifeboats left. We'd launched every lifeboat we could. And at that point, we still had over 200 people on board. At one point, Tracy and I were sitting on the bridge wing, just outside the bridge, and pondering our, our fate. Here we were on a cruise ship and sinking, and we thought, well, we've got no way to get off. There's no more lifeboats. One of us has to survive. We've got a daughter, Amber, who, who was on board just a short while before we started sinking, celebrating her birthday. And, it, and it's an, an again, this is something you'd never imagine having to do, literally sitting down with your wife and saying, we, we might go down with this ship, but what about our daughter? One of us has to survive. And we were just trying to figure out what to do. But we decided that no matter what, we'd wanted to stay with each other. You know, one wouldn't go and leave the other one behind. We just thought, that's it. We are both getting off. We're both going to survive. Yeah, and and very fortunately, I suppose, as as you as you point out, you you both did, and and miraculously on that night, no lives were lost. There were other crew members who who basically abandoned ship, and they didn't just abandon ship; they left before all the passengers had been catered for. Do you think that's just is that just a human thing? It's a difficult situation. If you can try and imagine being on a cruise ship in the middle of the night, in a wild storm, and finding out that it's sinking. The engineers were working on unblocking the sewage system. They had opened valves, removed a pipe through a waterhead bulkhead, and all of a sudden, water came pouring in through the side of the ship. Now, as, a, as part of the entertainment crew, and the crew, or guests, you just expect that the captain, senior officers, will immediately kick into action and whatever plans they have for rescues in these situations would go into place. You don't ever expect that nothing will happen. That's what happened. There were no announcements over the PA system. There was there was no organized rescue plan put in place. And it's hard to judge people who who essentially seem to abandon their duties and just leave us to our own devices because you never quite know how you're going to react in that situation and I, and I feel that somebody like the captain on that ship must have been very difficult for him because there he was 
in charge of everything. Everything was going fine. Great ship, happy passengers, and fine, there was a storm, but, you know, I've been through loads of storms. But then suddenly, he realizes this ship is sinking, and the weight of that responsibility must have just come down on the captain like a ton. I just think that he went into some sort of shock because he didn't, he didn't seem to be, he just seemed to be incapable of, of reacting. When I order abandon the ship, it doesn't matter what time I leave. Abandon is for everybody. If some people they like to stay, they can stay. Yeah, you, you, can you describe the moment where you, you, you managed to track him down? I mean, you had, you'd been down in the, in the engine room, you'd been down in the lower decks of the ship, you'd gone up to the bridge, found him, and then ultimately at, at one point you, you, you find him, the captain, and, and there's no response whatsoever from him to the emergency that is and the crisis happening all around him. When Tracy, myself, and the other entertainers got onto the bridge and discovered that there was absolutely nobody on the bridge, no captain, no officers, nothing, completely abandoned. We'd managed to establish contact with a couple of other ships in the area via the radios on the bridge. Frequency, can you help over? We got asked some technical questions that we just couldn't answer. So at one point I went to go and try and find the captain because I knew he hadn't got off the ship yet. But we just didn't know where he was. So I went searching around the ship. I didn't search down below because at that stage, almost all the decks were now flooded down below. But I went to look on the, the aft pool deck at the back of the ship. And I found the captain there. And he was sort of kind of hidden away in the dark underneath a, a staircase that went down to the pool deck and just smoking a cigarette. And I said to him, Captain, we've made radio contact. Can you come and answer some questions? And he was just looking at me sort of blankly and just kind of smoking, going, saying, it's not necessary, it's not necessary. And, and I was saying, but we, you know, we, we're trying to launch lifeboats and we're trying to put flares in the lifeboats and they're asking us questions on radio. And he was just staring at me blankly. He looked just in shock with this vacant look and just smoking, saying, it's not necessary. And at that point, I realized, okay, he's obviously in deep shock. We're in charge of this rescue. It's us. Can you, can you describe to me how you, yourself, and your wife ultimately got off the ship? So m most of the people on board got off in the lifeboats. I, I suppose about 350 in the lifeboats. And then we had... I think it was 228 people left on board. We had about 580 in total. And so we managed to organize a helicopter airlift. Helicopters came. Tracy and I ran the forward helicopter airlift on our own, and one of the Navy divers and someone else ran the aft helicopter airlift. And once we'd managed to rescue all of the passengers we had at, at the helicopter airlift, it was about 110 or so, more or less, then finally it was our chance to get off. It's an incredible feeling when you suddenly realize and you're looking around, that's everybody, this long line of people who we've just been rescuing all this time. Suddenly, there's no one left. Everyone's off. It's just Tracy and me, one of the magicians on board, Robin, and the Navy diver, and one other um, person who was helping, uh, Peter Niemant. But then finally, it was, it was the turn of Tracy and I, and we put the harness on ourselves. We'd been doing it for all the passengers, and now was the time to put those harnesses on ourselves. Made the signals to the helicopter hovering above. They winched us up, 
we were on the helicopter and it was over. And it's an, it was an incredible feeling actually getting into the helicopter because it's quite scary as that winch suddenly yanks you off the deck. It's, it's a bit of a shock and it's quite frightening to be just dangling by this thin cable over the deck. And you're looking down and thinking, my word, you, know, you can really see the danger the ship was in from the air and how low in the water it was. And it was going down in the front, in the bow, starting to sink in the bow as the, the stern was rising up, which is where we got off from. And you're just thinking, we've survived it. We've, we've, we've done it. You know, we've got everybody off and we've got ourselves off. It's, that's a real feeling of relief. Can you tell me how your experience has basically helped with, with improving health and safety uh, within the industry and, and not just from your own personal testimony, but also uh, video footage from that night? Well, in the aftermath of the sinking of the Oceanus, there was, there was an international inquiry into the sinking to find out why um, entertainers and crew staff seemed to be running the rescue. And it was something that nobody could deny because we'd been in contact with different ships and they were speaking to us and passengers were saying, oh, you know, the guitarist did this and the magician did this. And the press were following up on this and thinking, well, wh where were the officers? And it just sort of started coming out and playing out in the press. And so there was an international inquiry. And eventually, um, I think it was four senior officers and me had to give evidence at the inquiry. And the result of it was that the officers were found guilty of negligence. Now, that's not a, a criminal offence. It's not even quite a civil offence. It's just that was the outcome. They all went back to their lives and, in fact, went back to jobs on ships. Uh, and we went back to our lives working on ships. But that whole incident highlighted the fact that what would happen if you've got emergency procedures in place and those emergency procedures are not carried out for whatever reason, either people are derelict in their duties, as in our case, or maybe the captain's injured or swept overboard or whatever the situation is, there was a sort of a review of the whole SOLAS regulations and SOLAS is safety of life at sea and the SOLAS regulations govern how safety of life at sea is implemented across every ship in the world. And so some of that was then reviewed and secondary things were put in place and some of the video footage that Tracy and I have filmed on board during the sinking and the evidence that we've given and things has been used in training videos for cruise ships all over the world. Some of the, the biggest cruise lines in the world use that as an example. And it's quite satisfying in a way because it's it's showing people that um, if, if you get into a situation where everything seems helpless, all seems lost, and just do your best, keep your wits about you and think, okay, I've got a problem. How do I get out of this problem? And it's it's very gratifying to see that those training videos in ships all over the world. It's it's a good outcome from a very bad situation. And the experience didn't put you off working on cruise ships at all. You 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 you, you continued with that career. Having experienced being aboard a cruise ship that sank, it did not put us off cruising again. I absolutely love ships. I love the sea and cruising in particular. It's pointless letting. A, a difficult situation completely change your life. Um, you know, face up to it, 
put it in the compartment and think, well, that was terrible. I survived that because in a way it makes me feel even more confident to go back to sea because I think, okay, uh, if, if the chips are down and we really have a bad situation, well, I know that we can rise to that situation. Yeah, and you reckon they're safer now because obviously, you know, the the, the Costa Concordia uh, incident, uh, you know, w- would obviously have caused a lot of alarm in, in a, a modern, more safety conscious era. You you think the, the, the cruise ship industry subscribes to very much higher standards now? I think overall that safety on cruise ships has improved in in leaps and bounds over the years. There is always, always, every voyage when the most of the passengers are ashore enjoying the port, one of those days it'll be a crew drill, and that's mandatory. Every crew member, and we have to go through drills and we'll, we'll run through a fire or, or a sinking or some other emergency, and that's done every voyage. So you're doing it in, in a year dozens and dozens of times. Well, back in the time when we were on the Oceanus, that didn't happen. It never happened, not even once. My thanks to Moss Hills, I'm Fionn Sheehan, and today's episode was produced by Garrett Mulhall and Mary Carroll, researched by Paul Highland, with sound by Gavin Hennessy. Archive clips from The History Channel, ABC News, Bright Sun Films, News9 Australia, YouTube and Independent.ie. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.